Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of the Excellence Cartel. Today we have Dom Kuza joining us. He is quite the little badass out there in social media land, from what I've seen from him for a little bit. But we brought him on to talk about the line between healthy, optimized, and competitive. And this can be for gym pop. This could be for your competitive athlete. It can be for anywhere we're going to go. But we're going to talk about in terms of gear, blood work, what we kind of like, don't like, and then excuse me maybe some different nutritional and training strategies that you could do to mitigate some things along the way uh depending upon what your goal is but as always it's tradition how has the last seven days been to you mr jason theobald man the seven days have been good um i uh down in florida with adh um advanced fatality so we were on boom america it was really good um had some new contacts uh, and the ones from new ethics are really starting to come to fruition. I think it's going to be a really good year for both those companies. Um, as far as Scooby prep, still crushing it. Uh, my coaches are growing at a rapid rate. I'm growing. Um, just kind of feel like there's really not a case. I really can't work at this point. And so that's a good feeling. Um, I guess that's really about it, man. Just, cruising along and in a really good spot that's it nice nice man well all the continued success to you man like you deserve it you worked a long time so appreciate it sir mr jeffrey sue how have you been your last seven days uh pretty good i'm still like you know dealing with this cough that's been lingering but um you know weather here is uh pretty nice you know for this time of year in massachusetts um signed a client uh earlier today had been uh, getting referrals from existing clients um my group mentorship is wrapping up soon there's like i think three more sessions left a lot of the mentees have learned a lot about sales calls and you know the business side and they're all you know signing clients following my little sales script and you know one of my mentees i think she texted me the other day and she's like at a 6k month now which is good um, so it's just cool seeing like the impact that's being made out there on both the client side and also the, um, the mentee side as well. Uh, of course I took a couple coaches off the wait list for the mentorship. Uh, they'll be starting in April. So it just looks like a really busy year ahead. I have five people in contest prep, two of them that, you know, will be going to nationals, uh, later this winter. So it's, it's pretty cool. Cause you know, I've never competed at nationals but I can have clients that compete for me. So <laughs> it's cool. I'll live vicariously through them. Yeah, that's badass, man. Oh, let's see. My last seven days. Well, I, I hired Mr. Jeffrey Sue to work with me on social media because I legitimately don't like it. So maybe Jeff's going to give me some gold there where I might like it. Um, uh, I got levels, that blood glucose monitor app mm. where you can like do the 24-hour continuous blood glucose shit i just went with that one because it seemed the easiest to kind of understand so the first 24 hours i either am diabetic or it's just still trying to figure out how to get used to me but they say to relax for 48 hours so i'm trying to breathe as i watch these things go down but it's been an interesting i was like man i'm gonna do it during prep fuck it why not maybe i can at least figure out how much insulin i need pre-workout since i really don't like taking it because i always mess it up and feel like shit um and then otherwise had a great opportunity i was down i was in florida i was at boom america and they're uh, gonna be working with me on my book so that was a pretty cool little thing 
A couple people in there had already been able to put that out, had already been working on the books. Um, So it was easy plug and play. Jay was super helpful with helping me in on that and kind of um, talking to people about it because he was picking their brain to help me out with the book. And they were like, well, hell, just bring them. So I was very fortunate to get that. So I wanted to publicly thank Jason because he's not the person that will whore that out on social media that he did that for me. But that is something he did do for me uh, by just talking about that to help me. It managed to put me in a good spot. So it just lets you know. All good things come to those who try. So that's how I'll say. So my last seven days have been good. I'm looking forward to working with Jeff, especially with me doing this book stuff and trying to enjoy the social media aspect I need to. But Dom, man, I'll be honest. I don't know too much about you. We've, I think, chatted maybe briefly here and there uh, over the time. But uh, give us a little bit about you. But I want to know first, like, how's your last seven days? And then I want to get into who you are and like what got you into coaching and all that. And then let's get into our topic because I like people to know who they're actually that we're talking to because I think that's important. For sure. Um, so last seven days, it's been pretty good. Um, not too much eventful things happened. Had a couple of signups for some competition preps for USAs. So that'll be good. That'll be fun. Um, I have coaches now who work with me, just making some content for them to learn off of and doing some calls with them just to help educate them. Nothing too eventful this past week, but always a good week. Um, as far as who I am, I'm a prep coach out in Southeast Michigan. So I've been down here my whole life, haven't left the state. Um, I got into coaching 2018. I did my first show 2017. So I was that kid that, you know, competed and started coaching right after uh, okay <laughs> so i have a question when you competed how did you do your first time and like what was your reaction obviously you loved it but like how much did you love it oh i was obsessive like obsessive about it um i took i took second in my open i think it was the year after they introduced or like uh, two years after they introduced classic and i did that and i took second in my open class that's not and, bad uh, after that, I was just kind of just addicted to it, very obsessive about it. Um, and I kind of just fell in love with it. I was training like before, like more of a a gym bodybuilder, I guess you could call it. Mm-hmm. It wasn't competitive and then decided to compete and then just really enjoyed it, really saw the love for like the applicability to science with it. So that was one thing that like really got me attracted to it because I was getting ready to go to dental school at the time. And uh, didn't end up doing it. I interviewed for dental school and everything, got waitlisted and pulled out of it. And then went and got my master's in exercise sciences. And then my whole like concentration was physiology-based. Hmm. What? Give me one client that was inspirational for you to really go to the next level in your coaching, though. Because you're someone who's known. You're not just a guy who just got into coaching and then just did coaching you you kind of built a good following and a good brand so far yeah so i think um i had a client went like the first year i was coaching um we did pretty well at uh the ben weeder cup in toronto it's uh, a nas- it's a pro qualifier out in toronto if you win the overall you turn pro and he took third and that was like my first client i ever put on stage and he was a local guy from Michigan, too. So it kind of just got the ball rolling here in Michigan pretty quickly. And then after that, I started snagging up people that were um, 
that were just Michigan people, but they were like the more top end people in Michigan who were competing were starting to work with me. And honestly, after that, I think it came down to just turning some people pro from around here that no one thought ever had the potential to be a pro. And then I got um, close. You guys interviewed Cam. Cam's my closest friend. Um, me and nice. Cam have been, we've been friends for years and we're practically like brothers at this point. But working with him, like just alongside just being friends and I got exposed to people outside of Michigan because of that. And it kind of just snowballed with that. Then I've had some really big finishes this past year. We won, one of my clients won the national overall immense physique at nationals. Congrats. Um, thank you. I had a super heavy take third in North Americans, then take fifth again. I've had a couple masters pros. Um, so it's been a very blessed, very good, successful career so far. Yeah, that's pretty badass. All right, man. Well, um, I guess let's get into this topic. We want to talk about the line between healthy, optimized, and competitive. And I think that that is something that is a various rampant discussion in the industry. You have a safer, safer model use going on. And then you kind of got someone like me who's like, dude, I, I feel great on like 600 milligrams of training. Don't phase me. And then Alex Kickle tells me I'm like one of the 5% that's lucky. And, and I'm like, oh, I knew it. But you, it's all over the place, right? Like, But no one knows what really is healthy, what really is optimal, and then really what is competitive in terms of like their blood work, in terms of gear use in relation to their blood work and other things. So um, I guess we probably want to start with like, understanding what is healthy and where a person should be when they're starting everything, I guess is where we would want to start this. Right guys. I think so. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe if we're talking about drug use, I mean, I would say, you know, everyone should know where their baseline health is. Exactly. You know, where they stand foundationally. And then, you know, as they're adding drugs, at least they know where they were. And what's happening to them over the course of um, years of PED use and, and contest preps. So, yeah. Dom, when a client comes to you and they're wanting to prep you, how do you kind of go over this with them? Like, what's the starting assessment point? And then, like, how do you kind of differentiate where you want to go with them? Do you ask them, like, hey, what is your ultimate goal? Do you hope to see 55 and not have kidney problems? Or are you kind of like fuck it, die huge in a casket, you know, I mean, like approach, because, you know, it could be two different ways to go about it, I guess. No, for sure. I think, uh, so I always ask, like, ultimately, how far competitively are you, like, really willing to take this? Where are you trying to go, right? Because we have a lot of the bucket list competitors that come to us. They're like, I just want to step on stage one time because it's something I've always wanted to do. Yeah. Right. So that's a conversation that we have to have with them that, like, the risks are not outweighing your reward right now right they are or they are too far from what you're trying to accomplish so maybe drug use needs to be something that done or just very minimally done but then of course there's guys that are you know like i have for example like we have competitors that are knocking at the door turning pro so there are risks that they're just going to continuously have to take to you know get and push through and get that next placing that they need to turn pro um and I think that's something that's huge. But to piggyback off of what Jeff said about like making sure you have like that baseline health um, picture before you start, I think it's crucial because like myself, me, I have beta thalassemia minor. And mm. if I never knew that, 
going into PED use, I would have thought my blood work was utterly destroyed from PED use. So what is that? I think you should elaborate what that is to the listener. So it's uh it's a genetic disorder with it's a genetic disorder with genes related to hemoglobin subunits. Mm-hmm. And what it causes is it causes a compensation. Your body starts making more red blood cells that are a lot smaller and your body makes a lot more. My red blood cell count since I was 16 has been 7.4, right? So that was something that is a norm for me. But if I never got blood work before I did any PEDs, I would have thought, oh, my God, I'm for sure dying. <laughs> uh-huh. Oh, that makes 100% sense. Uh, it's very, very hard for a lot of people to get the ones they need, though, from their doctor, which is why they should definitely be looking at life, lifeextinction.com. I know we would, did a full podcast episode on the comprehensive weight loss panel. Um, if you guys want to check that one out, but I think then, okay. So assuming a person is healthy, what is the markers that you look for, Dom, when you're beginning to work with someone, say everybody wants to know an Olympia level. So let's just go with the Olympia level. Olympia level guy comes to you. What is your baseline you're looking for for health? What is your baseline you're looking for drugs? And then how would you kind of rationalize that to get them where they need to kind of go to, to be competitive, I guess? Yeah. Um, I think a lot of it comes down to like, there's some markers that I'm pretty not negotiable about one being EGFR. And that's just one we always want to see. But one thing that I've been doing more so often, especially with the bigger guys is getting cystatin C's tested now because they're so big that this creatinine on this test doesn't make sense because they don't fit that parameter of what that creatinine is for. So I like doing cystatin C's and then I'll take that cystatin C and I'll go to kidney.org, put in their metrics with that cystatin C to get probably a better representation of what their EGFR really is. Um, But EGFR is definitely one that I kind of just always want to make sure is in a good range um, and we can keep it there, right? We can take a lot of things that can help us keep EGFR at a good spot. Cause once your kidneys go, there's really, that's really like, that's the end all be all right there for them. Um, cortisol, um, I think is one cortisol DHEA relationship. That's one that I like paying attention to, but again, I probably give a little bit more leeway when guys are 250, 260 training a ton right and i think that's where i probably separate a little bit from you know i'm okay with maybe seeing a 14 cortisol with a guy that size that training ability right he's constantly killing himself every time he trains and then maybe pulling him back a little bit gets us back into a normal range but again i think there's ways to control that without having to you know completely derail what he's so used to how would you control that then so like one thing I actually did this with somebody recently who he's like, he's a open pro. He's 265 trains a lot. His cortisol was like a 20, 22. And I knew breaking his routine would cause like way more mental stress on him. than and it probably would have made the problem even worse. But what I did was I took court ease and I had him take court ease morning when he woke up post training and before bed every single day, even on rest days. And um, even actually on rest days, he had four servings of it. And we got his cortisol from like a 20 in five weeks to a 13. And that was something that I said, well, this is nice to see that this was applicable, right? This worked for somebody. 
um, without ha having to really chop his training in half or chop his volume in half. And uh, he even felt better. He felt a lot better. So it's something that we're just keeping consistent more now to keep it in control. Mm. Plug for Cordy's. I like it. <laughs> what so questions? Be, yeah, Jeff, go ahead. That would be a good example of, of optimizing somebody then in that situation, because I would argue and play devil's advocate here that in the, if you were purely just talking about health, and you weren't taking into his competitive goals and the negative impact of removing training on his mindset and emotional state, a lot of coaches would say, you got to take time off. You got to rest to get that cortisol down. And they would argue that the supplement would be a Band-Aid solution in this situation. But this is a case of optimization where you're finding that balancing point and you're satisfying both goals and I think it was an interesting coaching call here. It's probably the right call in this particular situation. So there's a difference between health and there's, it's almost like optimization is like a bridge between healthy and competitive. It's like, where do you stand on that bridge between those two? Because you, you, yeah. you're not going to be a, a good competitive bodybuilder with perfect lab work year round. It's just not. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Okay. So and let's I, get into glad, that. I'm, I'm glad to seeing you. I'm glad seeing you guys all kind of shake your heads in agreement to that because there's a lot of people who take competitors, see a little bit of lab work really off, mm. and completely derail the goal of competition yeah. just to fix a few markers and make them perfect. Yeah. And that's something I don't agree with right. because in in the, at the end of the day based on muscularity itself, muscularity itself would alter markers alone for mm -hmm. some of these, for some of these people who are of a size that just doesn't make sense anymore. Right. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So then when someone's trying to be competitive, what, what markers are you allowing to go outside the range? Say for this Olympia competitor, say this guy's got a good chance to get in top 10 and you're like, fuck it. It's worth it. You know, you hit the gas. Were you kind of willing to be like, I don't really give a shit about that marker and you shouldn't either. And then what are ones that you're kind of like, hey, hey uh, this might be bad. Well, so I would say there's for sure ones that like, I would definitely pay attention to things like his, um, again, his EGFR is one that I really will pull the plug on a prep if it gets too low. Um, but things like if we're in the middle of a prep and LDL HDL is not where it's supposed to be. It's kind of expected at that point, especially with drug use. So I know the stressor in there is causing that. And that's one thing that I always try to do is, is if I look at bloods in the middle of a prep or right after a prep, if I have an explanation as to why that's like that and I remove it and I know it's going to be, you know, it's going to start to repair itself and start to come back to normal. Those are more so markers that I'm probably okay with letting get out of range a decent bit. Even hematocrit one that like I'd be comfortable letting it get to 55. And if it got over 55, that's probably when I need to start considering some phlebotomic agents or some phlebotomy itself. Right. Mm -hmm. um, but there are for sure, like in honesty, EGFR, probably AST, ALT are two that I are three that I would probably stay focused on within range and reason because AST, ALT orals are in play we might see different things right but some people orals I, sometimes their liver enzymes are barely elevated 
I mean, I don't know if they're taking real orals at that point, but sometimes it happens. So those are all ones that like I like to pay attention to, but give leeway to, especially with somebody that's, you know, knocking at the door at a really close, good placing. I mean, the, the ALT and AST is going to be off a lot and people that are training, especially training hard. Um, yeah. So one of the best ways to do that, to get around that is just look at their GGT. Um, so I always add that. And so if you really want to look and see where their liver is at, check their GGT. But like Dom said, if they're on orals, you're going to have at least one enzyme probably elevated. Um, and, but I, I always look at GGT because the bigger the guy, uh, the, the harder they're training, you know, it's going to pick up those aminos and it's going to be off. Um, so GGT is yeah. a better marker. Just like you said, uh, C-statin C is a better marker for kidneys, honestly. Um, if I see creatinine or bun off, people are really worried. I do the same. I put it, I get a C-statin C and, and really check it. Um, so you know, bun, bun's going to be off on someone who's pounding down protein. I mean, it's a nitrogen marker, right? So if you're eating 350 grams of protein, it's going to be down, doesn't it? Or it's going to be up. It doesn't necessarily mean you're having problem filtering. It just means you're eating a ton of protein. So, um, I don't know. That's my take on it, on those two. Yeah, I think I think ferritin extremely high is definitely a red flag too. Yeah. Um, and I I think with with ferritin, why do you being why really do you flag high, why do you flag ferritin being really high? Just because I think it's just a really big signal of just extreme liver stress and inflammation going on, and yeah. then iron overload's nothing to be like. You don't want to be walking along that line either. So I like to look at ferritin. If ferritin gets extremely high, that's probably going to make me stop something too. Um, and then along with like bilirubin, another one that like, especially when a high, like orals are in play, if bilirubin's getting pretty high, then that liver is definitely getting stressed out by something pretty intensely at that point. Yeah, I often kind of have been puzzled about the way people do blood work. They'll do it at the end of a cycle. And I'm like, well, most people kind of start screwing up at the end or taper. Or they have some kind of way of just ending, right? Like we've all been there before. Eventually you're just like, I'm tired of pinning, you know, and it just steadily gets longer and longer. I tell people, I'm like, look, man, if you're going to go into it, rip it and take a look at it right in the middle. And that way you kind of get an idea of what you're really like, you know, because you should be healthy before you do a blast. You need to look at it, what you're doing with your highest dosages, and then you should be looking at it, what you do, you know, I would even say the end, I would say six weeks after you're done with labs or four weeks after you're done with your, your cycle technically, and kind of see what's cleaned up. What's your thoughts on that, Dom? Do you have people go like mid cycle and kind of like be able to make these decisions or is it just kind of like has needs and symptoms and things like that arise, you address and treat accordingly based upon blood work? So I like to do, I like to do like mid cycle blood work sometimes during black growing phase to maybe see if we could extend it a little bit longer and get some more out of it. Um, and then I do like doing blood work post show, but I like to give them, I like to give them a little bit of time off of stuff um, just because then you're removing those stressors that we knew were causing those things. Um, so like if I do mid cycle blood work, um, I like to do it in terms of like, are we going to extend this cycle a little bit longer or do we have room to push? Or if we're bridging between shows, um, like I've had multiple guys do multiple shows in a row and I've had to pull bloods during that time to even make sure like, Hey, can we get to this third show or not? 
Um, so that's kind of like how I like to do the blood work, like in cycle or, yeah. Dom, I have a question for you. For your for your athletes, do you ever recommend time completely uh, off of all PEDs? Like, for example, you know, I was talking to Jose Raymond, who I train with um, out here in Boston, and he he told me that he always just, you know, uh, and a lot of the the old school guys did this, where they would be on PEDs only for the contest preps that they were doing. Granted, they did compete quite frequently, um, but when he wasn't competing, there'd be times where he'd take like six, nine months completely off, just cold turkey, no PCT, nothing. Have you ever done that or tried that yourself? I've never, I've never tried that, but there are guys who like my super who did, he did North Americans and he did nationals. So he was in prep, like the greater of like eight, nine months last year. Yeah. For his post show, we brought him down to like 125 a week and that was it. So okay. we like really brought him down pretty low, which I think would kind of be like, I, we got his blood work done and he was like a 650 test on that kind of dose. And yeah. he was, and he was good. He felt a lot better, <laughs> of course, but that's yeah. probably, that's, that's what I have done in the past. Just like a really low, lower TRT kind of dose. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I think. I, I almost feel like going cold Turkey like that with nothing in your system after using PDs for a long period of time like most bodybuilders have, is probably more detrimental than to just stay on a very low dose of TRT. Yeah. I would think it could be. I mean, low dose testosterone or having good testosterone levels is known to be cardioprotective and kidney protective. And uh, I can't imagine, you know, walking around estrogen dominant is very good for the prostate and prostate health over time. I don't know, man. Like, it's kind of the debate, right? Like, do you... Do you come off completely like the old school guys or do you drop to a really low dose TRT and, you know, do the health phases that way? I personally do the health phases, which is a TRT dose. Um, I think, you know, it's, it's cardio protective for, for lower, you know, having proper testosterone ranges. Mm. So that's kind of my take on it, but it is interesting. Um, there has been times where I definitely come off TRT and run like a full Clomid HCG, HMG, stack to kind of just resensitize my body and you don't really lose much you just lose a little fullness um so i think it's helpful occasionally but at nine months six months i i think unless you're a straight up freak you're going to take a lot of steps back backward too i think yeah i agree with that don have you ever had a client during prep that you had to pull out of prep due to health issues and if so what were they yeah i've had a few people i've had to pull out of prep um I've had a few guys where EGFR has got low, like 50-ish. And that was where I was like, this ain't even worth it at this point. Let's just stop. Let's get this fixed. Most of the time I'm pulling people out of prep, though, it's probably more mental than like physical than anything. Um, But I have like had that happen, especially with like the EGFRs. And then like probably more so physical, like, stomach gi issues like when the orals came into play that it was just like too much for them to handle so just stop the i would just stop the prep and try to find what was the reason why that happened in the first place and try to retrace our steps as to what happened there but that's like if it's usually been that egfr score if i've ever pulled the prep what's your um opinion on older competitors who want to continue 
Like, for example, if Jason wanted to step back on stage and, you know, continue living this, you know, lifestyle, or if I wanted to get back on stage in my 40s, you know, how does your overall outlook or strategy change for older competitors that maybe, you know, that have a little more mileage, that may be more sensitive to things like cholesterol or their prostate or, or what have you, if we're talking about males? I know yes. I look 48, but just so you know, Dom, I'm 45, so you can answer that properly. So just wanted to like <laughs> I mean, I'm well, in the middle of a prep right now, and I'm 42, be 43. So, yeah, yeah I'd be curious to what you think. Because I'll say my opinion after I hear what you have to say, so I'm curious. So my opinion, I guess my approach, I coach, I coach um, like I have, I think, five or six people going to Masters Nationals this year. And I do take a more conservative route with the drugs. Um, just because of course, the you know, obviously like they've been doing this for a longer time. They've been exposed to drugs for a longer time. Um, but I do take the, the cons more conservative route for them. Um, but I still do push. It is their competitive goal. That's kind of why they hired me, but I'm going to do it in a way that I feel is like ethical and okay to go. But, um, I have like, I've had a, a few, I've had a few, like uh master's level clients that I've had to like have a conversation, like, you know, is this really worth it? Like, do you really want to do this and continue to do this and push like this? Because, you know, what are you going to do when you turn pro, right? Are you going to go do master's pro shows? Are you going to go do those things? Because if not, you know, your blood work's not the best now, right? You got your whole family behind you and now it's starting to take into uh, take a toll on them. Right. Where are we at right now? And I had that conversation recently um, with somebody and I was ha it, I, it's a conversation that stings. But on the back end, he was more thankful about it because like I kind of cleared his head on some things he probably just wasn't thinking thoroughly through. But like Jason, for example, like J well, you did Tampa Pro last year. Yeah. Two years so ago, yeah. Two, two years, years ago. ago. Yeah. So like there's that level of competitiveness at the master's level, right? I have a guy doing master's Tampa as well. Like this next oh, this I did year. The open. I did the open though. Yeah, he did. Okay. never mind then. <laughs> so, <laughs> but that's kind of where my thought process goes with all of it. So I'm doing my prep and I recently, a couple months ago, doc diagnosed with spondylothelosis. So basically my back broke forward um, and it's slipping. Um, so I had to lose weight. So it allowed me, and I kind of started looking at it from my angle as a geared up using athlete my for a very long time. You're looking at someone who's been on growth hormones since they were 12, pretty much more on than off. And someone who has been on steroids since they were 18, more on than off. And I don't really get impacted too heavily. Jason's seen my blood work before and been like, what the, it just, so it's because I have a very certain lifestyle. Like I don't really get stressed. I live very, I think I mitigate a lot of the health stuff through different means. I do think that this is where you have to be smart about it, but I'll be honest, man. I, I, I think people are going to do what people are going to do. It's like, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But I think when you get to that master's level, it's about where you can kind of go the longest because that's yeah. going to be because I'm doing it because I love it. I'm not doing it because I want the pro card. I'm doing it because I actually like competing. Like it makes me feel good to do a prep for 16, 20 weeks. 
I feel good about myself when I do it. Business is usually better. I make irrational decisions like hiring Jeffrey Sue as my mentor to help me in social media. Like it's compulsive, right? It's But nonetheless, it, it it's just one of those things. And I think that everybody misses that point. It's all about the pro card. And I'm like, nah, for me, it's about like, there's still so, like, I listened to a podcast all ago where Jay Cutler said there's probably maybe Jason. I'll be curious what Jason says. There's two times in your career of bodybuilding that you love your look about two times that you'll peak and hit it right. That you'll just love your look. And the rest of the times you spend chasing those other two times that there's like really one, two, maybe three good shots you have where you look back and go, fuck man. in that photo, that was the best me I put on display and you're forever chasing that. And I feel like I still got one more of those in me. Like, and that's the only reason I still do it. And if I cut, like I literally told Keegan, my youngest son, he's getting into bodybuilding. I said, Keegan, if I pull it off this year, it's my best ever. And I don't turn pro. I go on my walk away because at that point I would know, but I go until that one's done. I don't want to leave with regrets. And every old person I've ever talked to, the one thing they die with is a bunch of those fucking things. So I'm willing to like risk my HDL being a 20 and having everybody out there saying I'm going to die tomorrow from just whatever. So uh, the safer, <laughs> I think we've gone to the other extreme of the safer gear model. And I think it's showing up in ways that I don't know. I necessarily think it has to be this all safe approach, especially for masters people. I think that you can rely on peptides like growth, insulin. I think there's other means to be able to mitigate that primable. And if your prostate can handle it, there's quite a few different means to be able to really skin that cat and really you have to ask yourself, like someone like me, I'm more trying to refine my physique at this point. I'm not trying yeah. to really grow. And I think that changes a lot of variables that you do. Like I don't need to eat 3000 calories a day, which I think makes it harder to stay healthier when you're doing gear at this age. Too. I think most people overlook that factor. Um, and I think Jason and I, we've actually talked about this with trend. When you get older, you almost have to microdose it so you can handle the digestion side effects. Um, yeah, because the moment you crank, it goes and it hits you. So um, we were talking about some of that. So there's just different tricks you can do that you pick up along your way of being a seasoned fox out there. Yeah. Um, we didn't touch on the ladies though, you know, and I'm I'm kind of curious about that. We had Cameron on, so we know Cameron's approach is your what what is your approach? And let's let's kind of wing it and do you have an ifbb pro like approach like is there like a competitor approach what are the questions and conversations you have that unless you guys got other questions you want to follow up before we move this way go for it cool yeah All right. um so i am i am definitely on the side of using peds with women um and kind of just how i've always gone about it was i like his honesty I mean, I am going to be honest. That's exactly. People dance. <laughs> People dance. Well, if, when, ha, ha. And I'm like, no, fuck I, to say the answer. <laughs> I'm definitely on the side of using them. Um, but then that's where I come into, you know, the conversation with the person is, you know, what level of virilization are you comfortable with? Like, because there is going to be some, right? There's going to be some that we're not going to be able to avoid. Um, and just like, just real quick, you could throw that to the guys too who are starting. <clears throat> There's definitely going to be side effects that are going to not be always be able to be mitigated, like maybe your hair getting thinner and things like that, that you're just going to have to be a little bit comfortable with. Um, but that's kind of what I do is I just ask, you know, where are you comfortable with? And obviously, that's not something we're going to push for to happen, but I just want to make sure like you're comfortable with some of these things that if they do happen. Um, 
I do I do the route of checking test levels first using TRT as a kind of a base to get things set up nicely. Um, yeah. I have been using growth hormone a good bit lately. Um, and then I've also been using like Humalog post training um, and just having, you know, starting people at like 20 grams of carbs per one IU. And then for anabolics wise, I do like starting with NPP um, for women. Um, just I've noticed, I've just noticed so much better effects, less side effects. Um, they feel great. They train great. Uh, Alex Kiko posted a nice video on mandrolone usage in women recently. Um, but I've always, that's usually like my first exposure drug if they're comfortable with injecting. Um, why, how do you do the, the humalog with women? Are you doing it with meals? Um, are you, do you use more of it? Like when a woman's in her maybe luteal phase, if she has her period and things like that, like, is there changes to insulin use then? No. So I just kind of use it post-training, just post-training yeah. grams of carbs per IU kind of setup, more of a standard setup for insulin usage. Jason likes the pre. Jay, what, get into the pre real quick because he was his is more the the post workout. It'll help shuttle the nutrient uptake and just kind of re replete and get you drawn up quicker. But you like the pre approach, and why is that? Why? Um, well, first and foremost, with women, I use a lot of GH and insulin. If they'll do it, I would rather use that most of the off season and save the bars and all the anabolics for prep. Um, it's a totally different pathway to grow and you're going to save their femininity. Um, sometimes people won't inject or they've been told that insulin's like the evil devil of the world when I'm like, no, dude, like VAR's way worse for your feminine body. Than <laughs> injected. But Okay. You put the VAR and everything else in your body, right? Go ahead. So why do I do it pre? First and foremost, I find a lot more women have trouble truly finding intent in their training, meaning finding the muscle, feeling the muscle and actually bodybuilding training rather than just moving from A to B. Or the muscle. And so when you put GH together with insulin pre-workout with carbs and then do the carbs intro with EAAs, creatine, citrulline, the muscle engorges, and now they can find the muscle. And this works for men too, but men seem to find it a little easier. So for me, that's why I'm doing that. And then post, I wait till that is exhausted most of our gains. Then I might put a little bit in post. But I mean, I'm using small amounts with women because women don't like to be bloated and gear like GH can put water on them. So you got to walk it up slowly, maybe an IU a day, maybe two or three <laughs> IUs of Humalog. And so I do it pre um, that's, that's my reasoning behind it. And it's not that I don't use Anavar with women. It's just, if they're, if they're more advanced and they're willing to use more of the Humalog and the GH, I'll spend more time probably in an off season using that than I will relying on PEDS. Um, but like Dom said, I really do like MPP. If someone's willing to inject, it'll really put nice size on pretty quickly. Sides are fairly low. Women just have more 19 nor receptors. So they do really well with it. Anavar still craps you. Like everyone thinks it's totally safe. But, you know, once you get past the 10 mig range, like you can have that voice drop in an instance. So, um, I don't know. I kind of went all over the board there, but uh, no, no, I dig it. So now I want to ask your, your declarifying question. You are taking GH and insulin right before you walk into the gym or are you taking uh, it with that one hour pre-workout? It's got to be an hour because it's going to take the Humalog an hour to peak. So you want them, you want them walking into that gym 
uh, at least, you know, having in their system 45 minutes, most people warm up a little bit and then you're ready to roll as soon as it's peaking. Okay. So you're, you're, you're timing, you're timing that peak with that intra drink. Correct. Correct. Yeah. Yeah. And then you're doing the GH just with breakfast, right? Or are you shooting that? Oh, with I the so you do the GH and the I insulin think, an hour before. I, still, I know you've argued it's systemic. I have not argued it's systemic. I, I've just told I've you how I take both it. ways for myself, taking like three IUs in the morning and then three IUs pre-workout and 100% my pumps are better. And if I'm rounder, oh, I'm, I'm sure better, I'm going to look rounder on stage. You know what I mean? So no, yeah, I, I get it. I have them take it pre with the, with the insulin. Yeah. Okay. Like okay. Splitting it, like you said, Jason, morning dose and then pre-workout, but I do like two and two. Yeah, I mean, yeah, for sure. Uh, but most women, I start with only one IU, so I got to really be strategic. Absolutely. Once they get up to a little higher, if they're not holding much water, I mean, I have some that work their way up to like three or four IUs and they're fine. But, you know, you have some women, you put one IU in and they they think it's the end of the world that they're, you know, holding a little water. So you just kind of got to know the client. You kind of got to, you know, work your way up. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point you made, though, about, you know, training intent and like connecting to the muscle. Um, 100%. That, it's what separates intermediates from advanced 100 yeah you know advanced people they connect at that very first rep and they yeah. don't need as many reps i mean my first rep hurts and it and i'm pumped it takes most people till their 10th 12th rep to really feel the set until they become an advanced trainee so then you don't need to you don't need as many sets you don't need all of that you know you can get in and get out and, and get to growing so yeah for sure i agree with that all right let's keep going down the woman pathway is there a point of where you're going to put trend in like does the girl come to you for bikini and you're like hey i'll give you trend um i've heard about those horror stories out there uh, no um but <laughs> my milligramage my milligramage per week will definitely change with the division they compete in um i have women's physique uh clients who are scratching at the door at turning pro and their milligramage per week is definitely a lot higher than a bikini athlete of mine. I actually don't coach bikini and wellness anymore. Um, just because I don't, I didn't enjoy it much. Um, so I just work with figure physique and women's bodybuilding now. Um, but like in the past milligramage per week for bikini was very low, but women's physique, women's bodybuilder, you know, that was something that we definitely pushed up a little bit higher and, of course, with the territory comes, you're more comfortable with the side effects, you're more understanding about what's going to happen. And it's just a lot, I think it's just a lot easier to, to communicate with, uh, with those divisions. I, I agree with you a hundred percent. I also think that sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees and those divisions is where that gets muddy a little bit. I think, um, Kind of just going there. Jay, what's your what's your thoughts on that? You train it all. So um, is there any truth to what he's saying there? Or do you kind of just always have I good mean, experience to talk at about? At the end it? of the day, listen, it's all genetics partly. What I mean by that is response when we're talking gear, right? So I've had women's physique competitors go pro on nothing but Anavar and like an IUGH. On I the know. other hand, I've had to use Winstrel. I've had to use a little Masteron, have a test base in there. I mean, it just depends, man. Like, you know, if you got a girl with a soggy ass, like you got to figure it out somehow. If this is what she really wants to do, then you're probably going to have to use some more, more, more gear at that level. You know what I mean? So um, it's kind of run the gamut. I've also had girls, you know, go pro in bikini using nothing. So 
it runs the gamut and it, it does come back to genetic response. But I agree with Dom, like if they're wanting women's physique and that's their deal, like it's probably going to need a little bit of winstrel maybe towards the end. You're probably going to need some things to dry them out and get them a little harder looking. It's just the nature of the division. And like he said, they kind of know that going in. Um, but I try to play it safe. Like if I'm using Winstrel, it's like usually for me, just two weeks out, um, low dose, just to polish off the physique. Um, I always try to manage the sides. And I think most of my women, if you look at them, they're, they're not androgenized at all. Um, and so, you know, that's just kind of how I play it. Now there are certain coaches that are well-known for those divisions. And, you know, I, I think they take a kamikaze approach and I'm just never going to be that be that coach and that's fine you know those people can go to those coaches that, that do that and and that's i'm totally fine with that i think it's important for our listeners to understand that you know jason what you just said is that you know these drugs are first of all you have to understand how they work and what sort of results mm -hmm. or effects elicit and use them as tools only when necessary depending on the physique and the outcome that you're looking at um so you know if you're like you said if, if a woman is competing in women's physique and her glutes are are soggy and you've tried everything that you need to do that you might need to bring in some some bigger guns <laughs> the tools to accomplish the task but it's not like that you know there are a lot of girls that will come to you know any of us for example i'll get a bikini competitor first time and, and she'll say oh well when am i going to start taking anabar as if like bikini and anabar just got to go together you know and that's that's not what we're we're about here yeah, you also like. I also lost client one time because like they didn't think <laughs> I really knew how to do. I guess like wellness stuff like that. But I was like, but you still have to like grow. You know what I mean? And you still got to get like lean. There's still other things to do before you go for this division. But it's it's very hard for people to wrap their head around that. So I get where Dom's coming from on that. Jeff, do you have anything that you want a direction you want to go? I know we really haven't. We've talked about like the competitive end, and we're like, hey, look, to play with the big big boys, big girls, you've just got to be willing to do it. And everyone's genetic response is gonna be different. And you mitigate shit with health style, you know, with a healthy lifestyle support as best you can. But we didn't really talk about like the optimized. Um, and to yeah. me, like, you know, the optimized approach, I think is the one that everyone's trying to do. So Dom, when you're looking at optimized approach, what are some things you try to go, what are some paths maybe you go down for the optimization path? And like, what does that look like for people who you work with when you're optimizing? So I think, um, like for me, the, when I think of the word optimizing or just kind of go down that route, I'm trying to use tools to fix the to help or i'm trying to use tools to help the problem while we're working on the underlying um so for example that guy with the cortisol issue right we know what the underlying was we used a bunch of things to help it but we then will start to slowly work on trying to fix that underlying but i think that's more applicable to people like are who have time right deep in off season not competing for a few years um and then obviously our lifestyle clientele as well. I, that's where I probably take an approach of more like, I'm okay with using metformin during this time while we fix your insulin, you know, resistant issues that are causing it. Um, that's kind of just the way that I've always like took my optimized approach. It was doing the things, taking the things that I know will help us kind of mitigate your symptoms while we are also fixing these underlying issues. Hey, Jeff Black, when you're defining optimization, are you talking about being as healthy as possible while having 
hormones at a proper level, et cetera, et cetera. What, what are you, how are you defining optimization? Maybe I missed that on the powwow call. No, no, you did not. Uh, we don't do powwow calls, but uh, it was more of well, the, the, yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's the health. Like, I think everyone understands the threshold of healthy. Like you don't want your lab skewed all over the place. Like what can you do to optimize maybe some gear use to allow you to kind of get up to the limits of the line before you tip over? Maybe that would be the line of optimization is what I was going with. So what are some thoughts then with that being said, Jay, that you have? Well, um, so for me, this would be like a client who wants to be a little more muscular, um, keep health in the forefront and, you know, progress, but they don't need to progress at a crazy rapid rate. So first and foremost, you know, I'm going to look at labs. Uh, I'm going to fix anything I can functionally and get to the root cause of any issues before I throw any, you know, potential peds in the, in the fire. Right. Um, health sleeping, right. Um, Anything I can do labs, I'll probably, you know, get their body lower inflammation, all those things that I like to do. And then once I have all that kind of baseline health going, someone wants to build a little more muscle, let's say it's a male, you know, um, I get a lot of guys 35 to 55. I have no problem with two to 300 megs of test a week, maybe an IU or two of GH, um, things like that. And if they really want to get a little, you know, more advanced, I would only use master Primo. Um, all the other chemicals I, I wouldn't be using with them. And that would help mitigate any E2 issues. So we don't need to take, you know, ADEX and all these things um, mm -hmm. really help health or cholesterol. Um, females, I mean, man, it really depends, dude. Like, unless they're really into this fitness thing, I'm just going to optimize what I can through nutraceuticals and lowering inflammation. Like if it's a woman that's, you know, 35, 40, and just wants to look good on the beach, unless she brings up Anavar. I'm not going down those routes. Uh, I'm just not, I'm going to look at her hormones. If she wants to be optimal and have a good sex drive and she's into HRT, I'll send her over to my clinic and we'll get those balanced. If she doesn't care, I'll use natural remedies, maybe a little chase berry to bring up progesterone, maybe thyroid boosted support of thyroid. If it's sluggish, you know, just come to the root cause of things and try to support in that way. Um, so for me, that's kind of what, what optimal would be um, just putting the body in a position where it can gain muscle and lose fat at an optimal rate because everyone who hires me wants aesthetics plus health. So good point, Jeff, what do you got to say to any of that? I would say I, I would take a more like maybe like a mental or a strategic approach to optimization and that maybe, you know, you're not like a you know competitor that wants to be on the national stage or, or compete at the Olympia. And if that's the case, then you don't really don't need to live that lifestyle. You don't need to use the drugs for as long. You don't, you don't need to compete as often. You don't need to put yourself in situations that would negatively impact your health. So I would approach my clientele from that angle and make them realize like the big picture in terms of how competitive physique sports fits into their lives. And that, that would mitigate any sort of unnecessary drug use or focus on this sport where there doesn't need to be a focus. What do you think, Dom, is the future of the sport now as you see it in terms of where we're going to go? Are we going to go more still competitors, good do competitor shit, or you think this is going to be where – Hey, there's been maybe a few deaths now. So we're going to look more like what's competitive, but yeah, but what is kind of optimal and then balance from there. 
like you train a lot of younger competitors. So you kind of have your pulse on some of these people and what they're thinking, because my thoughts are that people don't want to do what the nineties and the two thousands were. They don't want to do a gram of tests or two or things like that. It's more, what can I do to go the long distance and actually still compete maybe in my forties, fifties, or at least be around living. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think it's, I think it's going to start trending more towards where, you're always going to have the people that will just do what they want to do. But I think that amount of people is going to fall off slowly. Um, I think a lot of that, though, is coming down to the level of education that's out there now and just the amount of resources that are out there now. And I think, too, the honesty level that's out there with how podcasts are now with talking about cycles and approaches. And that stuff is so much more available than it was 10 years ago. And I think people are starting to pick up on, you know, there is probably a safer way to do things while also staying pretty competitive. Now, I'll be honest, I'm not, I'm not in the route of, I'm not going over a gram a gear a week total. Right. Because at the end of the day, I don't think that's, that's me. I don't think it's realistic to be winning at a national show on a thousand milligrams a gear max. Um, But there's people who argue that that's all you need. And, Again, there's going to be different camps, but I think in totality, it's going to probably start to get a little bit safer. I could see that. What do you guys think? In terms of gear use over the future? Yeah. I think there's always going to be people that are going to push the envelope, and I think everyone's genetics continue, are always going to be varied. And I, I, I don't think anyone gives two shits that other people are dying because it isn't going to happen to them. That's just what I think. Um, I don't know that it's going to get any safer. I really don't because until the until the governing bodies that prep or that judge us and judge the people on stage put in some other type of rules, you're always going to have that one person that pushes it, and that's going to make the next person push it. That's going to make the other person push it, and that's why all the divisions are where they're at. Look how fucking big the bikini is now. Look at you know physique women now look like yeah. it's just human nature. So I don't know, man. I don't see it coming. I don't see it coming down or getting and getting any healthier. Um, you know, what really would make it healthy is if, you know, the government would stay the fuck out of it and gear was legal and then you could get it from a pharmacy and people would be a lot healthier, but instead everyone gets it from the underground. You don't know what the fuck it is. It's not as healthy as it used to be. And uh, I think you're still going to be having issues. So, uh, but that's me on my soapbox. Um, no, it's always good to hear. I, I think it's just somewhere in the middle. I think that you're going to see, um, uh, it, it's interesting. Like the kids at the gym that I talk to, they're open to SARMs, but they're like really turned they're the other eye. Right. But do they turn some of them are turn their noses up to trend? I'm like, guys, stop wasting your time with these SARMs. Just put trend at the rate you're going. You know, like I try to talk sense into them. They don't want to listen yeah. to me. That's why I kind of am curious to see where you guys thought. I think people are always going to do people shit. You're going to have that person that's just going to go all in. Um, but I think if the masses don't start doing that, how does it dwindle at the top? You know what I mean? Like what's the trickle down effect? Like, I wonder what the sport looks like in 20 years all the time. I don't know what gyms you're, I mean, it must be your gym, but the gyms I'm in, these kids are on gear at a young age. They're on trend. They think I'm on trend because I'm lean and veiny. And I'm like, (laughs) build a fucking base first. I didn't touch that shit until I was 34. Like they just don't get it, man. I, I can't believe how many people are using trend at like 21, 19, 18. I'm like, dude. And then half of them aren't even using test base. It's just like they're on trend. I'm like, oh my God. I remember when I was 22, 
remember when you guys could order shit online back in the day? I ordered Parable and Amps, which were like the the jam. You know, you had to like break the glass tops off. And I remember I did two shots of you know Parable and was like top end trend back then. It was like the best, the best. Like people, who, mix, I think. I, yeah, it was like seventy six mix per one. I remember in, at the end of eight weeks, I was like, "Holy shit, what did I just take?" Like I never seen anything like it because I had done D ball. And DECA, and that was usually what we started with back then. It was usually a DECA D-ball base, and then you'd come off the D-ball and go into test. And then you drop the DECA and move into whatever you could get your hands on, which was usually EQ. You were working a test base? You were just taking DECA and D-ball? Yeah, that's my very first cycle I ever did, dude. Jesus. Yeah, and then, like, you remember Laura Bolin? Laura Bolin, that was one out of Mexico that people rotate in and out. There was just all these cool ones that you could get back in the day that were just neat that you, the kids don't know about nowadays. Ah, gyms in the 90s were the fucking place, and that's for sure. You probably... I was going to say, you still had the gym owners that would shoot you up. Yeah, no, yeah. yeah they had that D-ball in the front counter. They didn't give a shit. Like, we got a good workout. You, pro- you, probably, you probably didn't feel too bad on D-ball and DECA, though. No, I felt great. Dude, I felt great. Now, I did. Jason and I experimented me once. I did the 400 milligram a week DECA thing, and uh, I felt absolutely awful. Like, by just like six weeks, I pulled the plug and had to add tests. And, uh, but with trend, I have no issues. So it's weird. I don't know. Tell me. Yeah, it is weird. I need Alex Kickle back on. Alex, why does this not make sense? So, um, I guess guys, is there anything else that we want to wrap up on or touch on? I know we kind of panned all over the place a little bit, but I think those are the best episodes when there's a little, cause there's gold nuggets all throughout that on various little points. I think that you guys at the bigger conversation point is, I don't know if the safer model is going to get a Mr. Olympia title is what I think the summary I could say of this podcast would be. Um, and I don't say that to diss that. But I just say that uh, because those guys are the cream of the crop. They don't need what everyone exactly. Else That's what I've always said. I mean, I mean Bill Heath probably went pro on less than a gram. Oh yeah, fuck yeah, that was the legend and lore bound. That's what most people don't understand. My eyes got exposed to steroid use when I was nineteen and bouncing Jace. There was this dude who bounced his ball with me. I won't say his name because, you know, you never know. Maybe he found me and wanted to do his fanboy me from a distance. But anyway, this dude would literally go off cycle and he would kind of shrink down like the Kevin Lavrone symptom. Like he would just look like a skater kid who was kind of lean. And this fucker would put EQ and D ball in and he'd be 40 pounds up in like six weeks, dude. And just like mutated like a damn bull before your eyes. It was like retarded. And that's when I got, uh, I was over there doing deck and D ball. I'm like, well, I sure as shit did not respond like that. Do you know what I mean? And I got the dose of it at a very young age. So it stood out to me that, you know what I mean? And I think that that's what I, that's why I always tell everybody, if it was me doing this again, I would do my first cycle balls to the wall because I think it would have given me better expectations about where I would have gone. Because if I had gone in and thrown the kitchen sink of like 750 tests, 600 DECA and an oral and just lit it up knowing I was going to get what I was going to get off that first cycle being my virgin response and I didn't become Ronnie Coleman, I might have just walked away. Lee Priest was the one I wanted to be. I might have just walked away, Jason. He didn't use we much might either. never have met. Fate might have gone a different path. He didn't use much either, man. Guys that li- lived with him said half no. time. Shots and like, forget shots, leave them on the counter. Drive, <laughs> back, but the dude's a freak, like a freak. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Remember him that, at 17? Like, dude, that ain't normal. Like, that's what I'm that. saying. Yeah, no, those people like Flex Lewis, those people are crazy at that age. So there right. is it, it's an honest conversation. Dom's right. People know what they're getting their hands into nowadays. There's too much shit out there. 
to be able to do, uh, bullshit anybody on if people go look. But I mean, I think um, it would be said for that. I mean, if you need three and a half grams to go pro, like, bro. That's my view. Exactly. That's why I was saying first cycle, blow it up, figure it out, figure it out your first time. You don't have a great response from gear. I'm here to tell you as a person who's used gear for a long time, if you don't get a good response from a heavy cycle the first time, that much more gear is not going to help you. That's exactly where I started. I a guy that literally got no response and he would always complain. I said, start training with me. So we did, man. I did his diet and everything. Dude did not change a bit i was like man i feel sorry for you buddy i don't know you know, <laughs> jason's like <laughs> pat on the back yeah, like, bad, didn't even get him results that's bad if jason can't <laughs> i couldn't get a thing dude like his body didn't look a damn day different like nothing Poor oh, bastard yep Tom, what were you gonna say man no, I was just going to say um, off of Jason, like if you need three and a half grams of gear, this probably ain't the sport for you. Uh, it ain't, but people will do it. Like they'll do it to go pro. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, uh, it was funny in my book. Those were the exact words spoke me. I wrote about this in my book. The guy who sold me my first steroid cycle at the gym I was at sold me Deca D-ball. He handed it to me. He goes, if you don't grow off this, this sport's not meant for you. And I was just like, it was said to me like at AT, I'm like, holy shit, you know, like, so I expect, I put on like 20 pounds, but nonetheless, I mean, I had a good response, but I wish I could go back. And that's the one drug, Jason, if I miss out of everything was I would have done more D-ball in my twenties because you can get away with it and be big as fuck. Just this massive water Buffalo at all times. Just, but, yeah, but you so feel amazing it. with the chunky cheeks because that's when you can put that shit to use and you can bench four Oh five and your elbows don't scream at you for like two and a half weeks. You know, like you could just do it and go out drinking the, that night and then wake up the next day and be like, Oh, I feel recovered, you know, and just like go about <laughs> your business. So anyway Daw man where can uh is there anything you'd like to say i guess to close this baby up where can people find you thanks for having a conversation with us like you would at a bar this is the kind of stuff we like to have where they're just really just abstract i think those those are the best podcasts exactly man talking um but no i just want to thank you guys for having me on thank you jeff for extending the invitation Uh, it was nice to sit with you jason and jeff as well Uh, jason was actually one of the first coaches that i ever kind of found Oh, wow. Like on, yeah, on social media. So always looked up to you. But thank you guys for having me again today. Yeah, man. Thank you for taking the time to join us. We really appreciate you, man. Thank you. All right, guys. Will you all have yourself a great day? Chat later. Peace. All right. See ya.